Welcome to TradFi to DeFi, a community-driven podcast about crypto and decentralized finance. This is Tyler Sherwin, and I'm joined by John Tejan. Together, our goal is to teach, encourage, and inspire you to seize opportunities in this emerging world of DeFi. Let's get started. John. Well, we have another exciting podcast today. Uh, This episode, we're mostly going to be focusing on what can we do in DeFi to kind of recap what we've discussed up to this point. In episode one, we talked about why DeFi? Why are we here? Why are you here? What is this decentralized finance concept and, and what is it all about? And then in episode number two, we talked about what are smart contracts? What are, what is this technology that enables these sort of things that you can do in, in crypto? How do they work? And then the third episode, we talked about security and safety. How do you have best practices and how can you keep your assets safe in this new and emerging space? Uh, So today's episode, we're going to actually kind of get into more of the fun stuff, which is what can you actually do in DeFi? Yeah, that's uh, it's an episode I've been looking forward to because, you know, when it gets down to it from on a day to day basis, you know, it's great technology and, uh, there's a lot of different things. We'll, we'll cover them generally. Uh, we could go in, uh, you know, a full episode on each one of these subjects, but we just want to give a, a quick introduction to give you some ideas. Sure. Yeah. So let's start with some of the most basic and we'll try to work our way up in complexity. So the very first and foremost is holding, or as some of us like to call it, hodling. Uh, John, what is this? What is holding and, and hodling? What is what is even the acronym hodling, and, and why well, do people always that, talk about it? Yeah, that's kind of funny. The acronym uh, basically comes from uh, mainly the early days, but even in recent times, it's uh, it stands for hold on for dear life. Uh, as the market goes up and down, you just hold on for that roller coaster ride because uh, you'd have the conviction that in the long run it's going to pay off for you, and really. It's just buying it and holding it and not touching it and not being swayed by uh, current events or market events. And just, you know, I'm sitting on it until one day it's worth a lot more money is really what it comes down to. And that message really resonates with a certain uh, crew in the crypto space. And I would say that's the Bitcoin maximalist crowd. And uh, this emerges from the ethos of Bitcoin when it got started. It was very much in response to the big banks and the financial crisis and just saying, hey, Let's create this alternative way, this alternative system, where even if the world goes to heck in a handbasket, we're going to have this asset that is a hedge against inflation and is censorship resistant and can be used as an alternative financial system. But before it really gets a lot of traction and value, you know, things might get pretty bumpy along the way. And so this idea of hold, holding, holding or hodling. Uh, through markets ups and downs, and then even outright government banning, like China has done with Bitcoin numerous times in other countries. This idea is that, hey, you know, this sort of technology is an alternative to all of the cataclysmic government uh, events that might happen, and we're willing to ride that out. So holding is easily the, is probably the easiest thing you can do, but it's also not that hard, not that easy if market forces kind of go against you. And so, uh, you know, this this type of activity holding is a more passive strategy and is something that I definitely recommend if you're, you're bullish on this space in general, if you think that your assets have the chance to appreciate in value, holding is going to be the uh, first strategy. Um, And, you know, John, we kind of maybe even skipped a step, which is that before you even can hold a crypto asset, you have to buy it. So the next 
item that I had to talk about was trading, meaning, you know, what, what are we doing when we're trading? We're, we're selling one asset into another. I think most people would start with the most obvious, which is I'm taking some cash and I'm going to a crypto exchange and I'm buying an asset with it. So can we talk a little bit about trading, John? Yeah, I mean, trading, it's, it's no different than the traditional stock market and, and trading you know, the strategy uh, there is you buy something that you think is popular and in the short term or medium term, go up in value, uh, sell it, take your profits, and then take those profits and buy something else. And you do that. That's what trading is. You're, you're doing that over and over again as you're identifying things that you think will go up. You buy it low, you sell it high. You take those profits and, and, and rinse and repeat and, and over time accumulate a, a large amount of money if, if, if done right. But, and I uh, think it's in contrast to the first strategy, which is holding, uh, this is a bit more of a short-term approach, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, because, uh, you know, the volatility of crypto uh, is, 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 you know, well-documented and, you know, things can go up rather quickly, startlingly fast, and they can come down just as fast as well. So people look, uh, you know, these short-term trades, uh, sometimes using technical analysis, which is a form of, uh, of data analysis as well. It's going to go up by this percentage, and when it gets up to here, I'll sell and make X amount of profit. It's very mathematical. Uh, and for some people, uh, that makes sense. And uh, you know, the only thing that you have to be really careful from if you're a, in trading, and, and that's the way you seek to make money, is, uh, is keeping your emotions in check because you can easily let your emotions run away with you and, uh, and you can make some trading mistakes that way. I find most people who come into this space think that that's probably all you can do is you either can buy crypto and hold it or buy it and then trade it. And so that's kind of will where they will stop their journey. And I think a lot of people actually get burned when they start trying to trade crypto because they'll get some sort of an idea that, oh, this is going to go up in value very quickly. And suddenly when it does not, they find themselves underwater and want to exit their position. And of course, right when they do that, the market turns around. And oftentimes, you know, this phrase I used a lot when I was a financial advisor was that time in the market is better than timing the market. The reason being is most people just can't do it. There's a lot smarter minds out there, a lot of smart money doing some of that sophisticated trading. So I don't particularly like this strategy unless you have a, a short-term view, you need to exit a position and you have a reason for doing it. Uh, so that's kind of why I, I tend to not do as much in the short-term trading. I tend to be more of a buy and hold kind of a guy, but that's my own sort of a bias. So there's a few other things we can do in, in DeFi though. So we've talked about holding and then we've talked about trading. Uh, this next one is spending, right? So uh, a lot of people, when you hear crypto, it's short for cryptocurrency. And I also think a lot of people get hung up on this word currency. And there was a lot of funny comments about the Super Bowl ads. There recently was a Super Bowl uh, when we were recording this podcast. And they were saying, oh, it's very weird that there's all these ads for crypto. I've never before seen an ad for money. So it seems a little bit odd that we're getting ads for crypto money. And, you know, that's one way to look at crypto. I know Bitcoin first started out as a currency project, but it's really emerged into more of a, you know, trending more towards a store of value narrative as opposed to a payment method. 
so spending in crypto is, however, still an option, and cryptocurrencies are are can be used as currency. So, John, what are these things about stable coins? What, what can we spend stable coins like we would normal well, dollars? Sure, we we can we can we can spend stable coins, which are basically crypto assets that are pegged or they maintain the same value as one stable coin e- equals one dollar. And that's what we mean by being pegged to the dollar. And, and those just maintain their dollar value uh, regardless of what the market's doing. So, you know, if in a real volatile period, then uh, uh, you'll, you'll put your money in stable coins. They're always going to be worth a dollar. And that's a, that's a safe haven. And, uh, but you can also spend them. You know, since they're denominated in dollars, it's really easy to negotiate uh, the sale of an asset. You know, you can do this over the counter with find somebody that's got, uh, you know, something that you want to buy and you offer them cryptocurrency because uh, that can be settled outside the banking system uh, and, and, and be direct peer-to-peer payment system. And, there, and there's, there's other currencies that are being designed to be this really fast transacting uh, currency. And, and those are specifically helpful in some developing countries where there's literally no banking infrastructure for the average person to participate and, and transferring money. You know, if you transfer money through Western Union or some cross-border uh, traditional money transfer system, it's pretty darn expensive. Whereas using crypto, you still get that dollar value, but it's, you know, relatively inexpensive when you're sending money uh, cross border. And there's a number of those. We don't have to go over uh, those type of uh, payment systems that are out there, but, but they do exist. And, uh, and so it's, it's, it's really advantageous for people to, uh, to look into that, especially if, uh, like I said, on cross border transactions. I agree. And I think I would encourage people when you're wanting to spend your crypto, I would recommend converting it to stable coins before you spend it. Um, one of the reasons is that if you were to use Bitcoin as a uh, token to spend on something, you know, the volatility of that asset, Bitcoin, could be that you over you overpay for something like the famous pizza that was paid for with uh, a couple hundred Bitcoin, I think it was, back in the day. And that Bitcoin, of course, today would be worth significantly more. And so, you know, stable coins are a great uh, form to use for spending and, and buying and selling uh, with crypto. Now, there's a couple other things we can do, John. Uh, in addition to holding, trading, and spending, we can also lend and borrow. Uh, you want to talk about some of those concepts right, here, John? Right. Well, lending and borrowing, and I guess I'll, 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 I'll mention one protocol that's probably been around the longest. It's the original lending and borrowing uh, protocol uh, on the Ethereum chain, and that is uh, Aave. And basically, you can take your crypto assets stable coins, uh, if, if you will, or Ethereum or wrapped Bitcoin, or they, they, they allow a number of different assets. And you can basically lend it, you know, you can lend that at a certain variable interest rate that that protocol will pay you. Um, and the great thing about that, if you turn around, uh, they also, you know, they're like, they're basically a, a, a crypto bank because they provide borrowing and lending services just like a normal bank. And when you lend your money, they turn around and the way they generate 
your return is they're lending it out to other people at the same time. Uh, so borrowing and lending can happen in the same place. And what they also allow is, depending on what type of money you're lending, you can use that as collateral to borrow against. It's, a, it's an over-collateralized position. You can only borrow, say, 70% of your stablecoin value. If you have, you know, $1,000, you can only borrow $70 or $700 of that value uh, and, and, and borrow against it. So it is really uh, the kind of first primitive uh, crypto uh, bank, really, when it comes down to it. it. It provides the basic borrowing and lending activity that a bank would. All you need is a wallet and some collateral. You don't actually need a paperwork. We've talked about these in previous episodes. Your collateral speaks for you, and that's all you need. And so that loan is executed on a smart contract, and you're able to get funding uh, on a variety of crypto assets, which is very exciting. Well, and one and one thing, and it's true, you can lend that, but you know when you're borrowing, uh, and you may not, you, know, you, you may not have any, uh, you know, if you're just wanting to borrow. Uh, a stablecoin, USDC, you know, you know, in, in a lot of borrowing situations, they're going to, okay, what's your FICO score? And they're going to determine your interest rate based on your credit rating. Well, that's, since these are collateralized loans, you don't have to go through the paperwork. You don't have to go through a credit union. They don't even know who need to know who you are. They, they don't know who you are. They just have a wallet address that they're transacting business with. So, uh, it's a good way to, uh, you know, uh, get around some of the the problems in, in traditional banking that, that can be very frustrating to people uh, who, you know, want to remain private citizens and just want to uh, uh, do banking transactions. And there's another concept that I'd like to also explore, which is this idea of staking. So similar to how you're able to, you mentioned Ave deposit assets to the protocol and then earn a percentage return on your assets by lending them to others. You can also earn a percentage return by staking directly on proof of stake networks. Is this something, John, that you can tell us a little bit about? Basically, you're taking the protocol's asset, you know, whatever that might be. Well, you can use Ethereum. I mean, you can stake Ethereum. Basically, what you're doing is you're, you're, taking, you're, you're taking your asset you're putting it in a staking contract, which means it's not, you're basically taking that currency out of circulation. Yeah, and, and an important concept there is that those assets are being put to work, right, John? They're, they're going right. into a staking pool and right. those assets are being used to validate transactions on the blockchain. Now, this is really a concept that's native to proof of stake. In order to validate the transactions of that particular network, you stake certain assets, the native crypto asset of that chain in order to validate the transactions. Contrasted with proof of work, which is what Bitcoin is on, which uses complex math problems and costs a lot of electricity to solve the problems and and validate the network. So it's just a different type of uh, consensus mechanism. And another another, uh, comment about consensus mechanism and the way I look at it, you know, and we're we're talking specifically about proof of stake, but uh, it's basically, you know, who has skin in the game on this network? Who has the best interest of the network surviving? Well, in proof of work, 
your, your, your skin in the game is your mining rig, you know, that you've invested a lot of money in and the electricity that you use. You have interest in the network working correctly because you want to get a return on uh, what you put into it. And the same goes for staking. You know, it's a financial, uh, you know, skin in the game. It's not uh, hardware. It's, it's, it's actual crypto assets that you're putting up and you're staking to, to make sure the network runs more efficiently and, and correctly and with all the security uh, that it needs. There's a lot of times people will use that word staking and not quite know what they're meaning by it. And so really in this context, it's, it's a form of skin in the game to you know, earn a yield by depositing native tokens, native coins to the um, consensus protocol. So one last topic I think is a little more complicated, John. It's kind of a combination of some of these things. And it's something that I know you're very passionate about. It's yield farming. We hear this phrase a lot, yield farming. What, what is yield farming? Well, yield farming basically is is finding the best return for your money, really, is what, what it comes comes down to, because protocols will offer a return for staking. And yield farming is 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 certainly interesting. And, and one of the ways that you can do that and, and what it really comes down to is trying to gain some return from the assets that you put in there. And one of the ways is being a, a liquidity provider for uh, a trading pair, you know, let's use a real basic trading pair, Ethereum and USDC, a stable coin. People trade in and out of those two things all the time. And in order to make that happen, there needs to be enough uh, Ethereum and USDC in what we call liquidity pools to allow those trades to happen quickly without slippage and, and the price getting thrown out. So, so these liquidity pools uh, actually pay a return. And sometimes, uh, depending on the, the risk you're willing to take and the length of time you're going to put it in, in the contract, pay really well, you know, uh, double and sometimes triple digit returns on an annual basis. Um, but they're risky and they fluctuate over time. And because they fluctuate, or yield farming is basically, okay, I find something, I'm getting 50% 50, 50 uh, return on this liquidity pair and over time, it starts to dry up and it's 30 and 20%. It's like, okay, I'm taking my gains from this. I'm, I'm farming my yield. I'm taking my harvest, what I've made, and I'm going to go over and find the next one that, that pays well. And you just roll from one to another, looking for the best return within your risk tolerance. Obviously, you can get crazy and and, 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 and put your money in risky pools. But uh, it's really this process of going from pool to pool, uh, you know, supplying liquidity and, 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 and uh, harvesting that yield. Yeah, and John, you're very good at it. You're known as Farmer John in our community because you're quite an avid yield farmer. And one, one element I'll add to what you described on yield farming is oftentimes protocols will, will incentivize you to add your liquidity by juicing your returns. And how will they do that? Well, they'll have some sort of an emission schedule of their native token. And then if you take your liquidity pair, like you just described, let's use your example, USDC and ETH, I think it was you said, if you were right. to put a 50-50 pair of USDC and ETH into this particular pool, that protocol might say to you, okay, now that you've got this liquidity pair, we're going to represent that with a token. And if you stake that token 
to a different contract. Now here we're using that word stake, but here it means a little different context. If you deposit that representation of your liquidity to their contract, they will then give you additional native token returns on top of the yield that you're generating from supplying liquidity to the protocol. Yeah, that, and, and that, that's the next step uh, with, with those liquidity pool tokens, especially if you find one that's particularly lucrative and fairly stable is you can't, like he said, you can stake it and get return, you know, on top of the return you were already getting. You're kind of stacking these returns one on top of another, which, uh, which is, uh, you know, can be quite valuable, um, you know. So, and, and in the further iterations that they're developing on these things is, uh, you know, these, these liquidity uh, tokens, once your money's locked into the contract, they're actually there's protocols out there that you can use that as collateral to borrow money against. So not only are you making money, you're also using it as liquidity to borrow more money to continue to use. If you want to use leverage, which not, I would not suggest somebody do when they first start out, but uh, it's a way to, to uh, improve your returns and, and incre increase leverage if that's what you want to do. So it really opens up a, a, an entire world of, of financial products once you take that final jump into the world of yield farming and, and staking your liquidity tokens. It's very interesting. That's where a lot of the innovation in this space is going because, you know, borrowing and lending is, is, is fairly, uh, fairly straightforward, but uh, yield farming and, and going into those areas is really where the, the innovation is really happening right now. Yeah, and I would say that's by far the most advanced uh, application of all these different things we've described that you can do. And that hits to the point that you were making of composability, which is you can hold an asset, then trade it into another, then spend it in another protocol, then lend it or borrow against it. You can stake it. You can earn it. You can, you can yield farm with it. All of these concepts are interchangeable in many ways and can be interacted with to create these really exciting money Legos as people in the industry often refer to it, building blocks of a new financial system. And so. I right. And, and one of the, one of the things that, that I've learned over time is, you know, these are all really fascinating and innovative ways of doing things, but in, in, in a way they're only doing what people at the highest levels of traditional finance have been doing for centuries you know, mm. but it's been out of touch or out of reach, I should say, by the average investor. So it's really using a lot of these very advanced and complicated ideas that already exist, but very few people know about because they don't have access to it. So so it's really interesting to see the kind of leveling of the playing field uh, and being able to get these large returns that, you know, have exclusively only gone to people. Uh, who already started with a big stack of money. Yeah, and I, I know we've been going a little bit long, John, but I really I would love to emphasize this point one more time and give two really easy examples uh, in traditional finance. Like margin trading or leveraged trading was typically something that was not really accessible to retail. It has been in, in recent years as apps like Robinhood and Schwab have come onto the market. But you know the ability to get loans against your equity 
was not something that you could quite easily manage on your own, but often require a broker to assist you with in the traditional finance space. Here in crypto, if you have an asset, you can immediately get liquidity on your assets without having to sell them. This is actually how the wealthy pay a lot of their expenses is they, they acquire assets and then they never sell them. They just borrow against them. And then as a second example of, of traditional finance being brought into the world of decentralized finance is this idea of uh, money market mutual funds. These are really, in my opinion, just less effective stable coins where you would have a basket of assets that would be pegged to a dollar and uh, that money market fund would be a way for you to get a very small interest rate, maybe one, two or three percent if you're lucky uh, on your assets in a way that would be you know, slightly better than what you might get at a bank account. Well, you can take your stable coins in DeFi and you can get eight percent or 10 percent or even 12 percent just by simply depositing them to a contract on the blockchain. So those are just two examples of TradFi uh, product offerings being replicated and in fact improved upon in decentralized finance. Yeah, it's uh, it. The, the future definitely looks bright and, and uh, we'll continue to follow along and, and, and hopefully over time uh, bring some ideas to our audience. Absolutely. Well, we're th grateful for you all joining us on this journey from TradFi to DeFi. As always, if you'd like to reach out to us, please connect with us on Discord and send us any questions that you have. We look forward to having you again on another podcast.